Welcome to episode 93 of Stageworthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. Stageworthy features conversations with Canadian theatre makers from actor to director to playwright and more. My guest this week is playwright Michael Ross Albert. His play, Miss, opens September 14th at the Assembly Theatre in Toronto, presented by Unit 102 Actors Company in association with the Spadina Avenue Gang. If you want to drop me a line, I would love to hear from you. You can find Stageworthy on Facebook and Twitter at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website at StageworthyPodcast.com. theater creator especially if they're indie almost never gets gets interviewed yeah i've i've lived in a couple other cities mm-hmm. and i've uh one of them was new york yeah and i feel like i like i went to public talks a lot with um with actors mm-hmm. or other theater makers and and we don't uh we don't do so much of that no we, we don't listen we like talking a lot you know like we go to uh we, we go to forums pub open how do uh, maybe i'm no no i mean my words no but i mean one of the things that i think is i think new york has and i mean it's hard to say because i'm not in it my perception is that new york has more of a theater community and toronto has a few different communities that consider themselves the theater community yeah and they don't they don't connect there's no place to connect um really yeah that's it, it can definitely be tough yeah i i'm like not to say that the the community in mm-hmm. new york isn't separate uh or contingent mm-hmm. on like the size of the venue that you're used to performing in um but maybe it's that there's that there's a larger like theater going community. Mm, yes. You know, yeah. you talk to audiences that will go to shows regardless if it's uptown, if it's downtown, that like they mm-hmm. are hungry uh for this kind of for the the type of work that they know speaks to them. Right. Um and they actively seek it out. And I I don't know if it's because apartments are so small, you're <laughs> always looking for something to do outside of your your comfort outside of your home. Um, And so there's this really, you know, just normalized culture of going Mm -hmm. to the theater, which we don't really have here. No, And then if we, and then the, and people that do go to theater are, you you can kind of uh, pigeonhole them into certain categories, like a tarragon Mm -hmm. audience, which we we hear that, uh, that, that's categorization a lot like mm-hmm. well it's not for the tarragon on like they're 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 not going to uh to see a show at the storefront no, necessarily no. so there's um there is a bit of a, a dichotomy yeah or a divide yeah. there yeah it, it's funny because you know i worked at the uh i was an usher for the the Ed Murray's theater oh yeah while. and that's a particular audience certainly you know I mean, that's I mean, depending on the show. I mean, there are people who go see shows at a Mervish house that will never go see an indie show because mm-hmm. they just don't, it doesn't interest them. It's not big. It's not like, and sometimes they haven't even heard of it. They don't know where to look for it. Right. They, and the seats are uncomfortable. There is that. <laughs> there is that. 
And, uh, but you know, you, you see like, and I mean, I think that a lot of the theaters that, that, that rely on subscriptions do see their, their audience. They, they're sort of looking at the future going, okay, this audience is uh, disappearing. Yeah. Uh, but you know, there are, there, there are great, you know, like mid-sized houses mm-hmm. that are making being a subscriber easier. Yeah. Um, like I subscribe to the factory I have for the last mm-hmm. two seasons, uh, just because it's an affordable subscription. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm. It's like it's got flexible dates. It's mm-hmm. art that I know I'm going to support anyway, mm-hmm. and um, it's it's available to my demographic just because it's not as cost prohibitive. Right, right. So I think that we're. I think that those, well, and Tarragon too, even, like, they have the, uh, like, an arts worker under Mm -hmm. 35 subscription, um, which can, you know, depending on uh, what your level of financial security is, if you know you've got, whatever, that you can, you can decide to become a subscriber. And I think it's, it's, um, obviously, you know, theater companies are are run by their subscription mm-hmm. series and um, need them to survive. And yeah. I'm, I'm glad that they're starting to take my demographic into consideration. Well, I mean, I think that, that you know, they've relied on a boomer or older gen- uh, 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 subscription uh, uh, base for a long time and sort of ignored... Uh, a younger, a younger demographic, in some cases. Um, yeah, um, that might also. Do you mean in terms of programming? In terms like, of programming, yeah. you know, programming. But yeah, I mean, also like when I was when I was in my in my twenties, there's no way that the pre- the cost of a of a subscription was even in my budget. No, the cost of a single ticket. Yes, you know, like exactly. I remember. I used to. I, I started working um, in the theater uh, when I was in high school. I did the paprika. One of the mm. first iterations of the paprika festival, mm-hmm. and um, we, I think, in it was at the Tarragon, and there was some kind of arrangement where we could just go see the shows for free. Mm-hmm. And you know, I saw Rune Arledge twice. That's Michael Healy play. There was another. Uh, there were great shows that we. I think um, I think Girl in the Goldfish Bowl mm-hmm. opened that season, and it was it was just so amazing to see this level of professionalism mm-hmm. uh, for free. And then I realized how much it cost to see it when I did not have when I was a high school student that yes. wasn't involved in um, that particular program, and it was completely yeah. unaffordable. Um, you know, there are great initiatives like Rush and mm-hmm. uh, ways to work around the system. Yeah. Uh, but there's now good. it definitely feels as though there's more of a concerted effort to get us in there. That's good. Because, I mean, that that is the... I remember, oh, how many years ago was it? Maybe three years ago, there was a, a forum uh, that was happening during Next Stage, but it got too big. They had meant to put it in the little cafe upstairs at, at Factory, but... So many people were interested that it moved over to, to yeah, I remember to, uh, to a past Mariah. and it was supposed to be a, a forum on where is the audience going. <clears throat> um, unfortunately, it presented no, all, lots of questions, but no answers. Mm-hmm. 
but it was it's clear that like everybody's been thinking about about that for a number of years like how do we bring people in um and that's a serious question uh, some places like like storefront uh seem to be doing I don't know. I mean, when they had a space, I didn't see their house, but I saw I saw the audience at Tough Jews. Yeah, and that was like I saw it, and it was packed, and people were like sardined in there. Yeah, a and miracle. It, like yeah. honest, I don't know what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, it was uh, it, it like a no, completely unprecedented, mm-hmm. totally unexpected, mm-hmm. um, and just like a, a real gift yeah uh it had the the storefronts marketing team on that Mm -hmm. one just did stellar work across the board um so they're like the 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 ads Mm -hmm. uh the like the video and photography ads that john gundy and the the guys from who racha came up with were so well produced and it was mostly a social media push um, we had really good. Um, we had a really good uh, like interview on Metro Morning, mm-hmm. which uh, helped. Like I, after we after I did the interview, I was walking to the space for our. We had a high school student matinee, mm-hmm. and I was sitting outside waiting for the cast. And I looked at my email, and um, the first cast member arrived, and I said, "We just sold out the next five performances," Fuck. and she went. Why? Like, <laughs> like, we, we, like we were just so completely floored that yeah. we that within the first week of the run mm. we sold out the rest of our performances. Think, it does not happen. No, but I uh, think that that you were talking about that social media campaign, and I think that um, first off, I think that that we we have to rely more and more on social media yeah. to get stuff out, but we have to do it well mm-hmm. and. It has. I think that we have to take like it has to look slick, it has to look good. People are so driven by the visual. Yeah, and it. I mean, it has to be specific to the show that yes, we're doing. Yeah. There's a lot of um, uh, social media that our actors rehearsing in a rehearsal room yeah. in street clothes, or um, you know, highlighting the cast, which is great. Um, but when you highlight the experience of what you're going to get when yeah. you uh, when you see the show. Especially, uh, you know, knowing knowing a theater company's um, proclivities. Mm-hmm. You know, like Storefront has uh, a reputation for doing um, very gutsy mm-hmm. indie work. Um, so having that reputation combined with the uh, the the campaign mm-hmm. and the specificity of the campaign, yeah. uh, I think really sold that experience. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, we just, we were very lucky to get as much outreach as we got and, um, and to have as, as many audience members as we had. I think that like, I, like I imagine that, that like, as you know, you saw the first week and and then probably even as the tickets were no longer available, I'm sure people were trying to get tickets because once a show has that kind of success, people sort of now I want to see it, you know? Yeah. Um, but there's some, there was something about like that space for that show had the claustrophobia. I mean, it was, I mean, obviously a lot of people who might be listening to this didn't get a chance to see that show. I know. I'm sorry. (laughs) It was a small space, but it was a, a speakeasy 
mm-hmm. um, in in Kensington, in Kensington Market. Market in thirties. The first yeah. act it was thirty. Second act was no. So no, the first act's twenty nine, right. and then it's right. thirty four. Um, uh, thirty three. But the the fact that the the space was so small, like you were. If you were in the front row, you were basically knee to knee with like yeah. people in the cast, and the fight choreography, uh, you know, was had was very safe, but it had this feeling of you know these fights exploding into people's laps. Yeah, we had a splatter section for blood, which uh, didn't happen too often, mm-hmm. but every now and then we had audience members get. Did, did uh, was there a warning? There no, there was no warning because if it was if the effect was done properly, which most of the yeah, time yeah, it was, yeah. um, every uh, everyone would would be safe. Yes, um, but we did have a few uh, instances <laughs> where audience members did get splattered. So a little more interactivity than they were anticipating. A little bit, it, you know, it's stage blood. It washes out. It yeah. was great, but, but we. Uh, I mean, that first at the, right, the the play starts with a fight, so you kind of know what you're in for, yeah. and. Um, because it starts with that and nobody knows that it starts with that when the violence erupts that that way the audience was just like so on edge which is I think kind of what you want Uh, from there yeah I think so I think it's you know that introduction um, is is meant to really grab you it then becomes it's a and it, it it's a it's a funny scene mm-hmm. as well. They're, they've got this you know, dead body on the floor that they're trying to get out and carry up the stairs, and there's a lot of physical comedy in there. Um, so that scene is just sort of... And, and all of the characters in the play are on stage for that mm-hmm. opening scene. So it was really about just like introducing this world of this play, mm-hmm. that it's violent, there's humor, it's, it's going to be... There's a lot of yelling. We're we're at a ten. We start at a ten. Yes, and yeah. um, and then sort of just allow the emotional components of the play to deepen mm-hmm. as it progresses. But to know that the that these are the stakes. Yeah. from the moment it begins. I'm curious because I'm one of the reasons why it was in such an intimate space is because the storefront lost its yes its performance space, um, and having to move into that small space, total gift. I wonder how it would have worked in like the 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 old storefront it's, space. Yeah, it's funny. We, I mean, uh, we found out that the storefront was closing around New Year's Eve, and about ten days later, we had decided to do this at Kensington Hall. It right. was really. Uh, like a no, we had to postpone a week, but we like the plan was to do it as as. Um, uh, on schedule as possible, mm-hmm. and when we and we none of us on the production team had had, had been inside Kensington Hall before, um, but I knew that it was there, and I remember bringing uh, Ben, the director, our production manager, the storefront's producing liaison, and our set designer Adam Belanger, all of whom had started work for you know had started plans for the show being mm-hmm. in the storefront, and there were three of us standing there with these huge smiles on our faces like this is gonna be amazing Mm -hmm. and then looking at adam the set designer just like with this panic stricken look he could (laughs) see that he could see that our minds were already made up and had no Mm. and luckily 
you know, he's a brilliant designer and did outstanding mm-hmm. work in that space. Yeah. Um, and it really, you know, like, the design in the storefront would have been really great. And, uh, but it's the fact that we had those practical stairs, mm-hmm. uh, like, two sets of practical stairs yeah. that we could use. Um, it, it it was a real, we, we tried to think of it as a blessing in disguise yeah, yeah. from from minute one. Yeah. Um, because otherwise it would just be too sad, really. Well, yeah, I mean, storefronts was, I mean, Unit 102 is open again, but yeah. for a while it was like, so indie theaters are dropping like flies, Unit 102 is gone, storefronts gone. Within six months of Within one another. Within six months of each yeah. other. Really hard for, for the indie theater scene in, in Toronto. I know, and uh, Kensington Hall was a really great um, alternative, uh, mm. especially for this particular play. Yeah. Um, it's... Uh, it's not as traditional a black box venue mm-hmm. as um, those other two spaces, but it did provide, um, and it still does, like a, a an affordable um, alternative to mm-hmm. uh, to companies that that are looking for for somewhere to make their art happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it, it makes for the opening of this new theater, the Assembly Theater, really. Um, auspicious yes um because you know even though it it does feel as though there's a trend of these arts spaces closing um we do like we we have a history of of this happening Mm -hmm. of spaces popping up of dreaming really big of making really great things happen and then being forced to close their mm-hmm. doors and, and finding a home elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. And it's that resilience of the community that I think is something that we should <laughs> try and focus on. Yeah. That, um, and I really, you know, when, when I heard the news about Unit 102, Unit 102 closed its doors first and Miss had been programmed already right. there. Um, and we knew we're just you know, postponing indefinitely. Mm-hmm. It really, it, 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 it felt like, okay, we, we're, we're going to figure this out. And then when the storefront closed three months before Tough Jews was yes. supposed to open, I, I had, it was very easy to start to go down a, a, a dark corridor in yeah. my mind and yeah. say, okay, m- maybe, this just isn't going to happen. Maybe mm. these pieces. Um, but when both spaces closed, to the t- to the credit of of Benjamin Blaze and Dave LaFontaine, respectively, it was really just like full steam ahead. What's yeah. next? And it's that spirit of the artists that are driving these initiatives that makes it so um, so encouraging and mm-hmm. so so su- such an exciting time to be working yeah. in the community now. I mean, the impulse to create is still there. So, you know, the impulse that first caused the the space to open yeah. is still there. So, if you can find another space, then you do it. One kind of longs for the you know that influx of money that burst that birthed like these the the midsize theaters that still have like those same spaces like Tarragon, Passerai, and, and Factory that the the kind of money that allowed those spaces to to open could could come back and allow some new spaces wouldn't that be nice wouldn't, that would be so amazing yeah um i don't i don't really know how to get that money well that's the trick and i think um 
But if we, you know, I think that if we continue to prove that there is a need for these spaces, mm-hmm. um, it's becoming increasingly more difficult for, you know, uh, recent graduates from theater programs to find uh, to find a place to to practice to work. Yeah. Um, it's one thing to get a general audition for one of those mid-sized theater companies, but it's something else altogether. Even to have something like um, Unit 102 does their Operation 24 or Storefront does Sing for Your Supper, yeah. which are these events. They're more community-building events yeah, yeah. than anything, but if you are... If you're a, an artist treading water in the city without an opportunity mm-hmm. to you know, really practice your craft, it gives you, it gives you that chance to go in and, and, and make connections and just, you know, exercise a bit. And that is such a, that's such an important aspect of a creative's process that these mid-sized theaters don't offer. So I, I feel like, like originally that, like that was the, that was the job of fringe, right? Fringe was like a place where you could go and like, if you had you know, a half-assed idea, you could like experiment to get it in. But now Fringe is like it's almost like laughable to think that you can get a show in. You can put a show yeah. in there, but the lottery is so is so huge that yes. you uh, it's it's difficult to, to actually get the show in. Well, and and you know, and and I think that there's there's an attitude uh, which is completely correct that if you want the work done, you have to do it yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, an artist can choose whether or not to wait to see if they'll get into Fringe or not. Mm-hmm. Or they can do their play as best they can, wherever they can, yeah. and not be beholden to the terms of the Fringe Festival and... Um, uh, you know, just 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 find a way to make some mistakes, mm-hmm. uh, which is a really good, a good thing to do. Yeah, yeah. So when when did you start uh, uh, writing for theater, or what uh, is it that drew you to the theater in the first place? Uh, I I don't. Yeah, I feel like I've always been doing it. I um, uh, I did like Parks and Rec drama classes mm-hmm. from the time I was young like five probably and um it was uh it it was just always something i knew i wanted to do i i did used to act um and i went to an arts high school and i acted quite a bit and then i went to um uh i did an undergraduate program uh and at the time I had already begun writing for theater. Um, really early on in high school, we had to perform monologues or scenes that we had written, and a teacher of mine encouraged me to um, to continue writing, which led me to the Paprika Festival. Okay. Um, so when I was, I think I, I was seventeen, I did uh, my first play there, and. Um, so by the time I, I had gotten to to my undergraduate degree, which was in theater, I didn't really... Uh, I, I was pretty snobby and selective about what it was I wanted to work on. Because acting made me pretty anxious. Okay. Um, and just... 
It's like a lot of boring work. <laughs> for, 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 if you if you're if you're in a there's I don't think there could be anything worse than being cast in a play where you don't really like it. Yes, and, yeah, 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 and I and I just found like rehearsal to be a bit tedious, and um, uh, I like I could I could see my interest in being on the stage mm. waning, uh, so I started looking at. Um, uh, graduate programs in playwriting specifically, mm-hmm. and I got into one, and I went there, and then I and then it was just all writing all the time. Which which program did you get into? It was the Actor Studio Drama School, okay, uh, which is in New York City, which mm-hmm. is like that TV show that James Lipton hosts. Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was one of my classes. And the, the actors workshop like the, inside the actors studio. studio yeah it's, it's, okay. it's a class okay I, I actually thought it was just a thing they did once in a while for, for PBS or it's whatever. considered a, it's considered a class okay um apparently you're graded on attendance but slowly <laughs> I I you know upper grad as you progress um uh, students found that they could pick and choose which mm. ones they wanted to attend without circumstance mm. um so without consequence right yeah so saw a few good one of the gun ones of those and um i started producing at the same time uh writing uh writing really the focus of the program was on creating as much material as possible so taking some of those one act plays and doing them in the fringe festival in new york Mm -hmm. or in other festivals in new york um and uh as well as elsewhere um it was a bit difficult to get them done in canada being removed mm-hmm. um but i yeah i've just continued with it since when you were trying to produce is that with it was that within the actor's studio or was that outside of outside of school mostly outside okay. of school we had I, as a playwright in a program in this mfa program there were elements of uh production that okay. were necessary um, there was one class, the playwright director's unit, mm-hmm. where you uh, it teaches playwrights and directors how to work on new material together with actors. Um, so I know. Wait, 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 wait. We have to we have to back up to where first off, there's there's like uh, a school that teaches you about production. Second of all, that teaches directors and playwrights how to work with each other and with actors. Yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, well, it's so the focus of this program is always on. Uh, the actor themselves and the and the philosophy of the actor's studio. Mm-hmm. So um, actors and or I'm sorry, playwrights and directors in their first two years of the program train alongside the actors. Mm-hmm. Um, what that does is it, it creates a common vocabulary, right. um, and it makes it it inf- as a pl- I can really only speak as a playwright that it informed and not as a director. I mean uh, that it informed my work knowing what an actor going through this type of training wants to work on mm. how an actor who's working on uh like an emotional improv improv will construct their scene and the construction of that scene work carried over into structural playwriting mm. tricks uh and so it was very beneficial to me um and then, yeah, for our so we I the playwrights work on their thesis project throughout mm-hmm. their entire time at school. In the second year, 
They bring in uh, a director and actors, and you work on it for 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 a while. Um, and as the script changes, uh, so does the rehearsal process. Mm. You're, you you learn how to be informed by a rehearsal process mm. um, and how to deal with one another and how to deal with large personalities yeah, and how yeah. to make sure everyone's voices are heard and everyone's um, everyone's ideas are given the attention that they deserve. What was your thesis project? Um, my thesis project was a play called Starfishes. Okay. Um, uh, it's been... It's nice. It gets... Um, it's published uh, in an anthology of short plays, so it gets uh, mostly college productions uh, kind of sort of regularly, not as much in these past couple of years. Um, but it's uh, it's a Canadian play mm-hmm. uh, set in a lighthouse in the Maritimes in the late 1980s, and it is about a lighthouse keeper and a prostitute who happens to show up at his lighthouse um, as the fog's coming in and refuses to leave, (laughs) and uh, the two of them uh, share a kind of lovely little Mm -hmm. moment together where they grow and learn about their own loneliness and Stuff like that. Do you find that, that it's done more in Canada or in the U.S.? It is. It has had one Canadian production okay. in in uh, uh, Victoria, I think. Um, but it's it's published in in Best American short, <laughs> uh, which uh, confuses me a little bit. I'm not sure that they don't that they know that Nova Canada's Scotia like isn't in <laughs> America. But um, it's yeah, it's mostly done. In weird in in places you would not expect, um, but yeah, the, it's 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 always very lovely to hear that mm-hmm. um, that young students somewhere like in Corpus Christi, Texas, are making out in front of an audience because of a play that I wrote. That's, I mean, that's, that's got to be kind of cool to to like hear that like people that probably. They may not have heard of you before now, but all of a sudden they're doing this these words that you wrote and they're yeah. performing the show that you wrote. That's got to be pretty cool. It's a real head trip. <laughs> um, it's it it it's it's really gratifying. Um especially um especially with this piece where where so much of so much love from uh from the director to the actors that worked on it for two years mm. to the original design team that really informed it so all of the teachers and all of the the students mm. in workshops that put their goodwill towards that piece mm-hmm. it's it's nice to to know that that goodwill has pushed this play out there into the world and that other people are on the receiving end of it and and making it's making it part of their story yeah um uh, even if it's just for like a little scene study class, but or even then, whatever I mean, that is, whatever in whatever context it is, they're yeah. working on it. Um, something's drawn them to it, and that is mind-boggling to me. I think one of the things that's kind of cool is I, I I remember all the plays I did, like especially in high school or even mm-hmm. scene studies. I remember them all, 
and we can talk about them like in, in like I remember them all fondly. So in that way, like these plays, this play when these these students are doing it, that's like they're going to talk about this play like twenty years from now. Yeah, maybe. Even if they probably are, because that, I mean, we all even if they don't go into theater, it's going to be that the time they did that play, and they're going to see the people. Remember when you did that play, and nobody remember that. I mean. Yeah. It's kind of cool. It's it's cool. Yeah, thanks. I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> yeah, you should take that. Um, tell me about Miss. Miss is... Um, Miss is a tough one. Miss is a heavy uh, one-act play of mine. Um, it's, uh, it is a real drama. It mm-hmm. takes place in the... In, and it's sort of difficult to talk about uh, given its structure. Mm-hmm. Um you basically enter into the world of the play with little knowledge of what the main problem is. And as the play progresses, more information uh, comes out through conflict. Mm -hmm. And so uh, without giving too much away, um, Miss is about uh, the aftermath of a fight at a boarding school between two students, uh, which has led to... Uh, a tragic accident. Mm. Um, it's that accident has affected both of the students that are involved. Uh, one of whom is facing expulsion. Mm. Um, his English teacher and her fiance, mm. and uh, the three of them find. So it takes place right before the disciplinary committee at this boarding school meets to decide whether or not this student should be expelled. And um, this couple has arrived uh, to speak at the disciplinary committee hearing. And um, the three of them find themselves alone in a classroom uh, right before that happens. And a big emotional (laughs) showdown ensues. Hmm. Um, And this was first performed at... The New York Fringe? It was, yeah. I um, it was perform. It was produced last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was its world premiere. Um, it's a play that I started writing either when I was just finishing up school or had just finished my MFA, mm-hmm. and I was um, I was. I must have still been in school. I know what apartment I lived in. So I was was getting ready. Um, uh, I only had one channel on on television, and it was New York One. And I always watched it while I was getting ready to go to school. And I heard one news report about something that happened to a teacher at a school. And um, I just sort of froze in the middle of my room and saw the play. You know, it's one of those... It's probably my only moment like that where I went, yes, that's this play. And I started to write it and it was um, it was just too difficult. Hmm. Um, I, I think I wrote the first like, 20 pages and I, there was something like really, really awkward about the writing process hmm. and... Um, it, it, it having having been a student of of this particular school's philosophy and knowing that I needed to go to some very raw emotional places to identify with what these characters are experiencing because each of them each of them are at their own rock bottom mm-hmm. 
and whatever it was, uh, I just, I knew I wasn't doing a good enough job Mm -hmm. of, of emulating that or of going to those places in the moment. So I kind of put it away and always had it in the back of my mind. And, um, it wasn't until when was it? It was, I was, I was away on a trip and I got some really bad news and I felt horrible and I felt like, uh, you know, everything's meaningless never going to write again, stuff like that. And it was, and my, I was having a real pity party for myself. Um, and the immediate, and, and again, something like woke up inside me and I went, oh, it's that, like, that's what that character is feeling. And I, and I was, uh, coming home on a Greyhound bus and I spent the bus trip kind of stewing in this beautiful darkness <laughs> And the and I started from scratch and the play was done, you know, a few uh, like maybe ten days later. Only actors and, or playwrights will will have like a terrible, like shattering experience, and in the back of their heads be like, "This yeah. I can use." <laughs> it's it's really masochistic, but it's also <laughs> but it's also um, it, it you know it let me work through whatever that that was really quickly mm-hmm. and really efficiently mm-hmm. knowing that i knowing that this is that this is usable that this is that this is good and productive um <laughs> not that i want to feel that way no. all the time and not that um there's uh you know we need to we need to address um these types of feelings pretty vigorously and attentively, but knowing that, that you can access that without doing yourself emotional harm and that it's good for the work. It makes the work like it, it, it gives it a whole different ease almost. And it makes dealing with the problem easier because you've you've put that to that darkness to good use yeah i've found that in 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 my writing at times that that it helped writing a thing helped me to work through something that i was feeling like that i was able to take what i was feeling put it through and that actually gave me a bit of a catharsis to be able to deal with what i was feeling yeah uh I, I I think with with this piece in particular, um, that was t- uh, to a degree the case. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I mean it's it's not it's not writing as therapy or writing yeah. for therapy, but it is just kind of addressing this. I feel really shitty, yeah, and um, I'm and there's anger and there's there's all of this justifiable rage mm. um that that can be put to you somewhere else yeah because it's not really doing anything sitting on a greyhound bus yeah. oh the greyhound bus if you don't have anything to do like to stew and not have I anything know. to do with it on a greyhound bus would just be so like you're just trapped in yeah. a space that you can't do anything mm-hmm it was it was exhausting. Did you have a notebook, or were you just like like thinking about? I everything? did. I didn't have a notebook. Mm. 
Maybe I did. I didn't really write anything okay. down. Uh, but I had known... I mean, I knew the relationship uh, between these three characters. Or the, like, I knew the story. I knew what they were doing. I knew where they were all coming from. Mm-hmm. It was really just a way to... To, like, get that emotional hook into right. what each of them are feeling. It was that feeling you couldn't get before. Yeah. Do you think you... Was it that you hadn't felt that before when you started to write it? Or was it that you were too young to know it? Or? It's possible. Mm-hmm. Um, it, yeah, that's quite possible. It was also just a very... Um, uh, it felt like a very like direct correlation okay. to um, uh, what was happening in that mm. piece, and this was something that I that I was years removed from mm. and hadn't really given it a second thought. Mm. And the fact that it just sprang to my mind, yeah, like, yeah this is what Laura feels. Mm. I thought that's th- there's got to be something, yeah, something real there. How did how did Miss do at the at the New York Fringe? Good. Well, um, it's a very um, uh, we had a very divisive audience reaction. Okay. Um, uh, so the last year at the Fringe Festival, they started utilizing this thing called Show Score, where. Uh, which I think something about that is something I'm like I don't know how I feel. About no, I know that. it's like it like it. I actually I had a few minor panic attacks because what <laughs> it, like so if you attend a fringe show, yes, you can go rate it online, uh, and then get a fifteen percent discount off of the next fringe Fuck! show that okay. you see, and so it aggregated. It's like Yelp reviews yeah. for theater, <laughs> which is. Um, which is fine. I mean, we should be engaging with our audience sure. in a meaningful way. Uh, but it also, it, I don't know that this is the most meaningful way. Mm-hmm. So there were, so I, you know, read through every one of those comments and some of them were, were like, holy shit, this is jaw dropping. Like I like, ugh, mm-hmm. you know, this is such a mature drama see it and then other people were very disturbed by it mm. and um it led to uh some negative mm. uh feedback mm. uh which is you know fine yeah uh, i wasn't really there for most of the production okay. um but i but there is uh we we did a, a reading of it at at unit 102 when it was in development and um it if you go on the journey with the play, mm. um, it it's a very tense hour and 15 minutes. And I think it can be, uh, it can be disturbing. It can be, um, cathartic. Mm. Um, and it, and it, and I learned from that, that thing, from that, that review aggregator mm. that it's, it's really dependent on, uh, the individual in their state of mind, but I do know that we that it is it's 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 a real conversation starter of a play. Yeah. When we when we did it at Unit One Hundred Two, we kind of uh, Dave asked who the audience sympathized with the right. most, and you know would point to each actor, and it was like almost an even split huh. that that each of the characters is coming from such a from such a uh, distinct 
has such a distinct argument. Mm. Um, and I think each does their best to justify what they're, what they're hunting after mm. or what they're, what they're searching for or what they want from one another that I don't think any two people's reactions are going to be the same. It's interesting because I'm thinking about that show score, and the reason why some people gave it a, a low score was because they didn't like it, not because it didn't affect them. They were disturbed by it. And it's interesting that um, like we sh- like theater should have an emotional effect on people. We don't have to like everything. We don't yeah. have to enjoy everything. Um, and But the... I think we have to be willing to go on the journey and maybe that's what was lacking for the people who didn't. Well, and it's, to be fair, it's a really tough sell in a fringe setting. Like, you know, <laughs> like we, we ended up like, I remember handing out postcards and, uh, my, the actors started doing this thing where they're like, there are no clowns. There are no drag queens. Oh. There's no circus. Just come, just come. It's just drama. And, and, you know, I, I remember going up to an old woman and said, we're, we're, are you looking for a really serious play? And she said, I don't want to see anything serious. Mm-hmm. And I thought, yeah. oh, well, then don't come to my play. Yeah. Uh, which is fine. But, we, you know, it's, it, it is, it's really tough to do drama. That in is difficult to fringe. Because um, people are often looking for something. People are looking for something light or they're looking for something like they want to see, see something like fantastic. Yeah, and if you, you know, if you take a chance on a show uh, and find yourself stuck in this tense, lights up, lights down, hour and 15 minute long show about disturbing content, Mm -hmm. then um, there's, you know, you're probably not going to have a good time. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So uh, it was, you know. It, it was it was a really great learning experience. It was it was also um, it's always invaluable to see the play up mm. on its feet, um, and watching watching this play when you get as talented a cast behind it as I had in New York and the one and as especially the one that's doing it here mm-hmm. in in Toronto, who are who are fantastic. Um, it it can be like. Like watching acrobats, mm-hmm. like like watching tightrope walkers, right? Um, and that's and that's the desired effect. Yeah, yeah it's just kind of ah, like tense and breathless <laughs> and um, uh, exciting. Mm. Mm. Hopefully, I'm sure. I'm sure it is. No, I've never done the the New York Fringe. I don't know a whole lot about the New York Fringe, um, but. I, You've you've had a couple of shows at the New York Fringe Festival. Yeah. If you were to compare it, say, with the Toronto Fringe, which I think is sort of a mid-sized fringe if you compare it with uh, mm-hmm. Edmonton and Winnipeg. So Toronto's mid-sized. Where would you put uh, the New York Fringe in terms of size? Um, it's about the same size, okay. probably about 200 shows. Okay. They are going through some big uh, overhauls. Um, they, uh, they took a hiatus this past mm-hmm. year and, um, have just announced that they'll be coming back in a much smaller festival. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the big criticism that New York fringe gets is like, why do we need a fringe mm-hmm. in New York? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a city where theater is kind of bursting from the yeah. scenes. 
Um, do you find do, do people not support the fringe because of that? That idea. No, I, th- I think that their audience, that their attendance is, is always pretty, uh, it seems as though, like, mm-hmm. it's, it's pretty regular. Um, and the people that, that love The Fringe love The Fringe. Okay. Uh, it has a real loyal audience base. But in talking about it, there's, there's a bit of snark. Um, it isn't a Judy, like, in, uh, uh, you know, in, in the village voice mm-hmm. or... Anyone that's that's doing official reviews of of the Fringe often will do like a weekend at the New York Fringe and right, we'll right, take right. in you know five shows and sort of talk about how unnecessary all yes. of it was. Um, the it's adjudicated and okay. and that does lead to um, to kind of difficult questions amongst audiences and, and artists alike. So it's not a lottery fringe. It's not. Um, it's not part of the calf circuit. Okay. So there is no lottery. Um, but it, uh, I, I've been an adjudicator for them, mm-hmm. and um, their system of adjudication is is very involved. Mm-hmm. Um, there, I mean, it's the largest multi arts festival in North America, right. and so the the volume of of applications that they receive is so high that they can't, you know, they can't possibly have a lottery system. Mm. But what they do is um, they are more inclined to pick um, conversation starters than they are. uh, So like I had, I was part of a, an adjudication cluster that was made up of uh, three theater people, from different demographics, okay. different ages, different genders. Um, and we had to rank the same, like, 30 to 40 plays. And there was one piece where we all gave it, uh, like, an 8.5 or a 9. Mm. It was the highest scoring one. And we all just said, lovely, this is, they're professional, they're going to make a great piece of theater. Uh, you know, all sounds good. Nice. Uh, it didn't get into the festival. Oh, shit. Whereas the one that I gave a 10 out of 10 to, and another person in my cluster gave a 1 out of 10 to, the, when we had to justify our choices to the board, we had this big, heated argument, and that play got in. Huh. And that's their way of making sure the fringe stays fringe okay that you're getting a mixed ba- you're not sure. it's it's not just creating a curated festival of 200 lovely professionally made uh good pieces of theater it's it's making sure that we will walk away talking about it yeah i guess i guess in a place like new york there's a lot of talent so you could get like 200 Nice, well crafted. Well, and they're com- you know for New York, they come from yeah. all over the yeah, yeah, world. Yeah. So um, it, uh, I don't know, I don't know if that's yeah. the case, but mm. it would definitely. It there were there were definitely a few where everyone had pretty generally positive feelings mm. about the pieces, and they didn't get. Huh. huh. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I guess that I mean that is a way to like replace the fact that you know the lottery system means that you don't know what you're going to get, and so if you're mm-hmm. in, like doing the lottery. Anybody can get in, so you don't know. Like there have been like there have been years where I'm just like I don't even know what any of this is. Yeah, I know it's. Um, I, I've I have never actually gotten in to the lottery, uh, and I, I I applied for 
I applied for many years in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it wasn't until uh, a friend of mine, Caitlin Robson, uh, said she was going to apply to the Fringe for the first time and wanted to do a play of mine. And I was like, yeah, well, good luck. I mean, if you get in, you could totally do it. But I've been, I've been, I've been applying since I was in high school, and I never got in. And then, lo and behold, her first try, she yeah. got into the you, festival. I mean, but you never know. I mean, you never know. <laughs> I have in in my life, I think, in two iterations: once in the '90s with a friend, and then once with Keystone Theater a couple of years ago. We got into the fringe through the lottery, but into the Toronto fringe. Yeah. I mean, Keystone had done some other fringes, but it was like, like those, just twice for the Toronto fringe. Like you never know that lottery system is, uh, yeah, really based on luck. Yeah, certainly is, and um, uh, great. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, it's, yeah. that's led to such um, excellent work and experiences mm-hmm. that that are invaluable for the for the artist that's Absolutely. that's putting them on. And then. Every now and then, you like I've stumbled into a show that I didn't know anything about yeah. or had no expectations, and and it's 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 uh, stuck out as a yeah. really like fond theater going memory. I've had other experiences. We, I mean, we've all we've all we've all had other experiences, yeah. and that's the but that's the thing is that sometimes you know I mean the thing is that there's so much and. You end up in this spot, and you're like, okay, so that show's sold out. I got some time to see a show. I was going to see a show. I can't see that one. So what's on now? Yeah. Ah, I'll go see that one. And then you end up in either a really wonderful magic mm-hmm. situation, or you sit for an hour wondering what you're looking at. Yeah. But that's that's fringe. And uh, it's really the only. It's the only way. Like you can you can only really get good by doing. Stuff absolutely, and absolutely. so and and by having that dialogue with an audience, and by you know realizing that people are either really digging what you're doing or suffering through it, um, I think that that's all very informative and and very in the spirit of fringe. Speaking of like having people like learning from having people watch your shows, when you were writing shows for Paprika and things like that, were you? conscious of learning from the audience or were you just thinking about getting the thing done at what, and, and and at what point did you realize that you were learning from the audience uh probably yeah it was probably that early on my first show at paprika went really well by all um uh standards but you know as as well as could be expected and so and i was like a shitty 16 or 17 year old. So this really went to my head and, and I did another show at the paprika the following year and it really wasn't going as well. Mm. And I wasn't, I didn't act in it and I watched it or I would sit backstage and I could see that the audience would all shift at the same mm. time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they'd yeah. all move in their seats or, you know, someone would, like look at their watch and I could start to tell all of those little movements. And Mm -hmm. I thought, what is so different about this piece than the last one? And, um, and, and so I've been, I've tried to be aware of, of that throughout, but Mm -hmm. there's, it's, and, and I've had the benefit 
uh, of being in a specialized program where my work was subjected to workshops mm-hmm. and things where the public was was a major part of um, uh, of the play's development. Tough Jews was in development mm-hmm. for years and years, um, and all of those things were were aspects to take into consideration. But without that, mm-hmm. um, it, it can it can be quite difficult, yeah. um, and uh, you you don't you really don't know until you get it in front of an audience because things can be going great yeah. in rehearsal. Oh, absolutely! Everyone's in on the joke. We all like that joke gets a laugh uh-huh. every time, and then you get into. You get into an audience that's like it's if it's snowing outside and and uh, the house is a little light and it's getting dark early and no one wants to be there yeah. and all of a sudden that joke isn't as funny as anyone thought that it was and rehearsal and always anytime I'm like presenting something new, you know, we're having a great time in the rehearsal, but that first performance I'm just like I'm waiting, yeah, I'm waiting. like I know where the first laugh should be and if it's not there. What do we do? I know. <laughs> what do we do? And it's interesting because an audience, you know, having done a few workshops, workshops are kind of different from like regular performance because a regular a workshop audience is come sort of prepared to yeah. think and tell you about the show, but they'll tell you different things than a regular audience. Yes, because a regular audience will not say the words "I didn't like the show" for the most part. As an usher at the Ed Marvis Theater, I learned that people never don't like the show unless they have like regular people don't not like the show they say things like it was so well done or everybody <laughs> did such a great job they do they say how did they like learn that. all those exactly lines. exactly but the audience tells you things in the way that they watch the show and they move and like all those things that you described with the audience people looking at their watch and shifting at the same time I've watched audience members suddenly become fascinated with like the lighting fixtures oh yeah Things like like all the things that they do, um, though those are telling you things because the regular audience just won't say the words. I didn't like it, and here's what I didn't like. Yeah, and uh, how Canadian! Of it's us. true. It's true. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great? If we, I mean, in a respectful way, of course, to be able to say, you know, I didn't, I didn't really care for this production. I think that the, you know, there wasn't a lot of tension in this scene, or this failed to hold my attention, or, you know, there, there are ways to, to give informed yeah. feedback about what you didn't like. I think people don't feel like. like they can. I think that the average audience member feels like I paid this, I paid a certain price, I went to see the show, I was supposed to like it. Yeah. So therefore, I must have liked it. And they will lie to themselves well, with those things. Especially like if they're paying yeah. through the nose to see these these um, yeah. expensive, big-budget yeah. things. The thing, uh, the thing about it was so well done. That's not a thing they're saying to the staff, to the ushers. They're saying that to their friends mm-hmm. as they're leaving. Like, they're convincing themselves that they enjoyed the show. Because they feel like they have to. Like you're saying, because they paid so much. Yeah. Because, you know, they're, again, for whatever reason, they're supposed to. It's a weird it's thing a, that we do. I know. Um, how do we get? How do we teach people that they're allowed to not like stuff? I don't. Well, <laughs> you, know, you just have to do more of it, right? Like yeah. the more you, the more variety that. Like if you're subscribing, if you if you have a Mervish mm-hmm. subscription, yeah. If you are a, an old person that has a Mervish subscription, 
And this is what you're doing with your yeah. with, with this is the only stuff you see. You only see Aladdin, right? And uh, come from away and other big shows. Um, you don't have any basis of comparison, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you think that's what theater is. Yeah. I had someone see um, the first play uh, that I did in the New York Fringe. And they came up to me afterwards and said they'd never sat so close to the actors before. Mm. This was in, like, a 150-seat black box theater, mm. which is, like, large, you know? It was in La Mama. It was, a, like, yeah, a, yeah, yeah. It was a good-sized house. Mm. And I looked at them like they were from Mars, because most of my education has been in theaters much smaller than this yeah. one. So if you, if you have variety, mm. it's like... Uh, you know, different tastes in foods. Yeah. If you go to, if you, if you know different cuisines from different parts of the world, you're more than likely to say, no, I don't really like Greek food, but we can go for a tie. Like there's, there's, and, and there's a way to, you know, you have a basis of comparison. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're only going to dirty dancing, the musical, um, or things like it, you may not know that it's okay to leave it intermission. If you aren't enjoying it yourself. Um, and stuff like that. We've, I've, I've seen audiences that thin out at the intermission. You know that things aren't going so well at that point. Well, I, I think Brecht would say that things are going just fine if they're leaving, <laughs> if they're leaving at intermission. Well, it depends on why. It depends leaving. on why, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. If they're leaving because they're because they're, it's they're flash angry dance, or the music, yeah. Then you know if they're if they're leaving because they're bored, things aren't going so right. Well. Um. So, uh, Miss is opening. Uh, like on the 14th? The 14th, yeah. And uh, uh, at the new Assembly assembly Theater? The new Assembly Theater? Yeah. Well, the Assembly The Assembly theater. theater. It is new. It's new. I got the... It's in Park Hill. It's yes. on Queen Street. It's got two bathrooms. Two bathrooms! Crazy. Uh, and it's a really great new space. That's actually, you know, in, uh, as far as most indie spaces go, that's actually... Uh, uh, pretty high end. I know. Bathrooms. See, this is a very the, auspicious. It is opening. a very auspicious. Opening. It's a sign of good things yeah. to come. Uh, where can we find you online? I have a website, michaelrossalbert.com, okay. uh, and I do Twitter and stuff. Nice. Uh, so you can find me there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for doing this, Michael. Thank you.